Hello, everyone. You're listening to Teaching Matters, an audio series exploring the unique needs of today's students. Teaching Matters is produced and recorded in the studios of WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. My guest today is Ruthie Inkelke, who is a representative of an organization called Pedagogy and Theater of the Oppressed. That organization uses theories and philosophies of Paulo Freire and Augusto Boll to educate and empower oppressed people across diverse communities around the world. Ruthie received her bachelor's degree in theater and English from the University of Texas in Austin. She also holds an MA in literature and writing from the University of Houston at Clear Lake. She is currently a barnstorm coordinator and on the leadership team for Move to Amend. Ruthie is visiting Ohio to take part in a statewide gathering of Move to Amend, a group of individuals who seek to empower others against corporate control. Ruthie, welcome to WUB. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me here. This is quite a pleasure. Well, it's, it's, it's our pleasure, and we're glad that through the powers of social media, we learned of your presence and we're able to invite you in and make it work. Uh, let's start with sort of a softball question um, to help listeners orient to what pedagogy of the oppressed and theater, theater of the oppressed is. Could you sort of give us your understanding of what that philosophy is? Sure, absolutely. The aim of theater of the oppressed is to use theater as a means of promoting social and political change by empowering the audience to explore and challenge oppression. So we use Augusta Boal's techniques, and I am much more versed in Augusta Boal than Paulo Freire. I love mm-hmm. his work, um, but that's not my, the pedagogy, the press right. is, is not my, my bailiwick. Um, so we use, um, we use theater games in order to start conversations and to be able to transform society. Uh, Augusta Boal says that it is practice for the revolution, that we, um, we have to try things out if we're going to change things, and we have to have a shift in our perspective. And so these games, uh, the games, kind of are able to take you off balance a little bit. I, I just left a few minutes ago uh, met with a group of people from the area, again, just got put together at the last minute, but amazingly, about 15 people showed up. Mm-hmm. And so we started playing the games, and um, and and they they got off kilter, not knowing what, what was next. And that's one of the first things to do, is to shift things a little bit. I think we sometimes need a little bit of chaos before <laughs> we can make a shift. You know, I uh, so I, I do have more of a background with Paulo. So we complement each other okay. in this dialogue. But I know that from from my readings on pedagogy of the oppressed, it is more of a long term social change because you are really trying to educate the masses to understand the forms of oppression that confront them. It seems to me, though, I could be wrong that a theater of the oppressed is much more of a short term strategy for accomplishing some of the same goals of helping people see in a more immediate sense. What some of the do you agree with that sentiment? In a way, um, yes, I think it is short term in that it is more immediate, and there are more immediate results from it. Um, in that, in that the people that get involved in, in theater of the oppressed and and play the games or get involved in a forum theater piece mm-hmm. and as a spectator, even it it becomes part of your DNA almost. It changes you immediately, right there in the moment. They have a, a shift in perspective, a, aha, oh, that's what that looks like. Um, but I also think that it is long-term because uh, any cha- any change, any social change is going to be long-term. It is going to be incremental. But I do believe that it starts in that kind of ripple effect, mm-hmm. that we have one little ripple going out. So 
in a way, yes, I think it is immediate. And another, I think it's we're we we're working towards something right. long term. Now, if we focus on the on just the phrase "theater of the oppressed," some mm-hmm. listeners that maybe are less familiar with this philosophical and practical approach might think of a big production like you would see, you know, uh, in New York or Chicago. And that's not really what theater of the oppressed is about, right? You're not a touring company. You're not, you don't come, you don't walk around with a, you know, a bucket full of scripts. Nope. No scripts. How how does it work? Well, what, um, what we do is we go in to the community and work with the individuals that are there Mm -hmm. because everybody has a story. Everybody has some kind of an oppression somewhere in their life. And so we look at what what is oppressing people in that community, even in that just group of people, and, um, and to tell their stories. So we, we start with the games to work with that. Um, and that's a whole arsenal of things that to, to have conversations and to work things out. But the more um, the more kind of you know, advanced part of theater of the oppressed is forum theater, which as I came into the building, your, your we theater We have a forum here, theater. You yeah. have a forum theater, um, and that's a, a definite place. But forum theater is is really a concept in that um, – you you have a story of of someone you take a story of someone being oppressed and you act out that story and then um, the act then that becomes a small little theater piece and you do show it in front of an audience but the audience is not act just passive they're not just watching the story unfold like you would in a theater they the actors do do the whole the whole piece, which you know maybe 10, 15 minutes, or it could be shorter. It doesn't matter. Um, and then they stop and begin to talk about it with the audience and look for what could happen. For instance, the protagonist we're in a, we're in a situation where the protagonist has a conflict and they lose because they're oppressed. And so we look for well, how could they win? What could, what could they, how could they take agency and change the situation with all the same factors and all the same variables involved? And, the, and so a member of the audience might say, well, and get, offer a suggestion. And then the joker, who is moderating the, the, um, the piece, would say, okay, well, come on up and try that out. So that audience member then becomes an actor on the stage, and they actually try it out, and they Imp- improvise what the what the change would be, and sometimes they win. Most of the time, they lose, but they try something different, and so it's a way of trying out different strategies of mm-hmm. winning because that's what we want to do. We want to win. We want to change <laughs> things. Now, in terms of the the issue of oppression that mm-hmm. you're trying to help people understand when they engage in in one of these um, one of these activities, you know, wh- whichever tool you pull out of your toolbox, what are some examples? that you've witnessed um, and, and perhaps facilitated of the types of oppression that people are really focusing in on when they they engage in some of these um, you know role-playing and, and theater-based scenarios? Wow, all kinds of oppression. It really depends on the individual. I've watched um, people work through sexual oppression um, based on their sexual orientation, based on their gender identity, um, that's a really prevalent one um, uh, with a lot of the groups that I work with. 
I'm I'm just now starting to w- try to work with I my organization my main organization is moved to amend and so we're a democracy movement and um, working towards an amendment to the Constitution to say that corporations don't have constitutional rights because we have this crazy thing developed by our right. court system that says that a, a corporation an artificial entity is a person with the same rights that you and I do and so I've I've been um, trying to work there with how uh, with that oppression with that oppression of the corporation and one of the the keenest examples I can think of is one that we I actually just left and that is using a game um, called Colombian hypnosis where uh, one person um, stands in the middle and um, or you have to you have to follow each other with the hand the hand is about 10 inches from the face and you have to lead and follow and it starts a conversation about power and power structures and who who's in charge and who's in power um, and then we that leads into kind of adding on to it we kind of create this corporation monster where you have one per you have one person trying to control on two faces on either side and then you add to that and it just grows multiplicitly until the people that are on the fringes are the ones that are the most vulnerable they're the ones that are going to have difficulty they're the ones that aren't going to be able to follow so I know I kind of got a little off track there from your no, original question. No, that's that, I'm actually glad that you went there because th- the next question that I had, uh, I, I talked with you before the, we started recording about, mm-hmm. you know, my objective in this series is to explore, you know, some of the needs that the students coming into our classrooms have, the, the millennial and, and, and then post-millennial students. And to connect the, to the reason why I was so excited to have you on the program, one of the things that I've noticed, especially because of the presidential election cycle of you know 2016, is it seems to me that there is a a movement of the younger students that I'm particularly interested in looking at that is really drawing them to candidates like Bernie Sanders uh, because of a perceived oppression that they see and experience. Is that something? And so my question to you then is, as you've been doing this work around the country for several years now, have you noticed that there is a generational, um, I don't want to call it a gap because I don't know that it's a gap, but have you seen generational interests that peak, especially with these younger uh, students that we're, that are in our classrooms? Absolutely. We're, we're seeing much more interest of young people um, at, at Move to Amend, our, almost our entire uh, staff, and we, we have an intern program, and a lot of our interns become staff, are in their 20s. And, um, and they're activists, and they are working to change things because there aren't the same opportunities now. Um, they're, they're, the students graduating with huge debt that and looking for jobs. As we as we've just been here and talking to students that are graduating and very very soon in a couple mm-hmm. of weeks, is that right? That's right. Yeah. And and they're worried. They're they're concerned. What what am I going to do next? How what you know where do I go? How am I going? What's next for me? And. Um, and knowing that they have to change things, knowing that they are going to have to make a difference because they're not being handed the same world that that you and I were were not that we were handed anything, but that they're not hand they're not right. walking out with the same possibilities that that we are. It seems like do. there are a few steps behind, even though they're attaining a, a degree uh, and and that sort of thing. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, it's very challenging. So, uh, b- besides the economic um, issues that that students face when they graduate from college, and even even maybe even thinking about some younger 
uh, students. Are there other types of oppressions that you've uh, observed that students are, you know, worried about as they're thinking about their their transition into adulthood? You know, I, I I'm a former public school teacher. Mm-hmm. I taught high school for 13 years, and I watched the educational system change over that period of time, and. All that and the testing has really changed the classroom. I started out teaching theater, and I um, I was really able to really engage more and teach students more in the early years of my career than I was in the in the later part of my career. And I noticed that we're not teaching them to think; mm-hmm. we're teaching them to get the right answer, and they keep looking for the right answer. And, and that's why I, 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 that's why theater, the oppressed appeals to me and why I think it appeals to young people too, because there is no right answer. There are simply options. Mm -hmm. There are possibilities. And I I think that we've just given a, a huge disservice. We, one of the first things that a child, the way a child, the first things a child learns to do is to walk and to talk. And the first thing that we do in a, in a school is teach them to sit down and be quiet. (laughs) And, that's just that's just wrong. We we learn by playing. Mm-hmm. Children learn by playing. Adults learn by playing, and um, and that's why I think that theater of the oppressed and these activities are 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 just so there's there's just so so go so deep, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's not just something that you're thinking about or that you read about, but that you felt and you've experienced, and and that changes you. My guest today is Ruthie Engelke, a national expert in theater of the oppressed. We were talking about how uh, students uh, that you've observed have have understood different oppressions that they experience uh, in in the meetings that you've had with them, and and your your expertise is in using theater to help unlock that and maybe to help even unlock potential uh, solutions or resolutions or pathways through those oppressions. What about theater? Do you think makes it such a uh, interesting, viable, and valuable tool for doing this? I mean, why, why not just give them a book? Or why not, you know, wh- why is theater an answer? Because it engages every learning style. Um, and, and everybody learns differently. But it engages every learning style. And it's totally participatory. And, and it also has ownership. This is, this is my piece. This is my character. Um, this is this is something that we created together, and and that is that is why I think it's so exciting and works well for young people. I I'm, I grew up with theater. I grew up doing theater when I was a little kid. I did it in high school, and I swear everything I know I learned from doing theater. I've read lots of books, seen lots of movies, had lots of experience, but I think the most important things I've learned, I learned on a theater stage or in a theater classroom, um, how to work with people, how to take care of each other, how to sew, how to change the lighting, how to speak, how to talk, how to move. It just integrates a whole, a, a person's whole being. I know from my um, more limited experiences with theater that the the phrase, the art of the possible, Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes is used to to talk about that experience. And I would have to assume that being able to think about what is possible is an an incredibly empowering experience for Mm -hmm. individuals. Have you, you know, what are some examples of of maybe breakthrough moments or where you were able to witness uh, individuals sort of have that aha moment of, okay, I am being oppressed, but these are things that I can do to empower myself. 
I guess maybe in a more general sense, the the objective of your organization in using theater, you know, if you were to project and say, this is what we hope will happen a year from now, if we continue to engage in these activities, you know, is it that we see more people um, supporting political candidates? Is it that we see more people engaging in, in um, political and social dialogues at the local level? I mean, what are some good outcomes that you think could happen that you would say, okay, we've done good work here? Right. I think it's that that last one, the, the engaging in dialogues um, is, is important. Yes, it's important to support political candidates, but that's not the end. That's mm-hmm. really just the be- yeah. beginning of, of being an engaged citizen. Um, and what I would like to see is people talking about it, working with it, becoming engaged citizens, and and taking that agency that, that we can change things, that, that we don't have to be controlled by who has the most money or who has the most power or who has the most influence, is that when we band together and work together, we have the power. Mm-hmm. We have the we have organically the power. So I think that um, going back to your last question, as far as far as um, most dramatic, is that people walk away feeling like I can make a difference, mm-hmm. and and I combined with you and you over here, we can all make a difference. I think that's the most important thing to walk away from. The, um, the one of the uh, websites that I was able when I was doing research on you was a website that was called Pedagogy and Theater of the Oppressed right. that really brings both of those uh, together uh, in one umbrella organization. Um, in thinking about teaching, have you have you observed educators that are um, you know, really trying to work these philosophies into their classroom? Uh, is that something that you've, you know, witnessed or? Absolutely. You know, it's happening right here at Ohio University. I, I spoke with a woman this morning um, named Mary Beaker, mm-hmm. who's working with uh, with the um, with the medical students mm-hmm. on empathy and working with those difficult situations when they have to give a patient bad news, uh, because that's a big part of the work that they're going to do. And um I think that's fabulous. It was really exciting to talk to her. Yeah, and, Mary's and wonderful. She yeah, is. Yeah. She's great. She's great. And, I, and I, 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 I'd I, like to see more of that. In fact, after I spoke to Mary, I went and had lunch with a young woman and uh, who talked to, who uh, who was looking about going to law, so she was more interested in talking to David. But her her uh, boyfriend is in medical school, and she said that's his biggest fear is – you know, having to talk to people and engage with them. And she wanted to hear more about it. So it was really exciting to, you know, to hear, you know, and to be able to say, well, that's in, you know, that's yeah. that's in there. That's there. I think maybe that's an important thing for us to um, talk about just for a second. I mean, when when, when I hear and use the phrase uh, theater of the oppressed or pedagogy of the oppressed, a lot of times I'll think about that from the oppressed side of it and let's figure out the oppression and battle it, you know, which of mm-hmm. course is a part of it. But there's also a part of it that is saying, let's figure out ways to lift the human spirit it and right. and empower people and that's sort of the glass is half full you know we we are saying okay there is oppression but like what Mary's doing in the classroom is really trying to use theater and role play and, and simulation to empower medical students right. and that seems to be a very um, a very positive way of viewing how education could be exactly it certainly is and and think about the implications of that when you empower that student you don't help wear down the road who that student is then going to empower as he or she becomes a you know, goes out into the profession. 
So Right. And and especially as I'm thinking about the younger students, I mean one of the you mentioned this before our break about the sort of the the approach of testing and and how right. the educational system has become sort of this um, you know very metric driven every student is a is a metric to be counted exactly. type of philosophy and and you know all of us uh, unfortunately have experienced it and and as as an educator uh, you know there's a part that I probably contributed to that in some right. way me too um, and so that's happening but but as I as I think about the students that are you know the the first graders, the second graders, even all the way up through middle school and early high school students, they seem to be ready for uh, ready for a tool to empower them. And a lot of it focuses on the technology and the devices that they have and how they can use information and learn to evaluate information. In fact, uh, a previous interview that I did um, actually just earlier today was with you know a teacher that was trying to do this. As you're doing your work, how do you see technology playing a role in the empowerment of individuals? Because when you do theater, that's obviously a very intimate, you know, you get a group of people together and there's a very intimate dynamic to that. Right. Technology uh, is different in one sense because it, it almost separates people rather than bringing them together. Do you think that technology plays a role in empowering and bringing people together? Mm, yes, I do. Um, because we have conversations that way. Uh I think it's more difficult with theater. Like you said, theater is a very intimate mm-hmm. experience. It's a very fleeting experience. You can catch it on tape. You can and put it out on social media, but um, it's not going to. You're not, not going to feel it. Thing. It's not yeah. nowhere near the same thing. And 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 the idea that you know every every theater, even even if it's a highly orchestrated, rehearsed piece. It's different every mm-hmm. time they do it because there's a different audience. There's a, a different group. So um, I think technology is very important, um, but less so with less so in the work that I do. And, and your experiences with your organization moved to amend. Mm-hmm. Do you? How, what's your strategies for trying to reach out to, especially younger? I mean, I know that there's an organic; they will be drawn to you, right? And so the fact that you <laughs> exist, you have built it; they will probably come in some respects. But, <laughs> but I also assume that you try to do things to reach out and absolutely when you try to connect with the younger uh, students now to help them understand possibilities and, and and issues. What are some of the strategies that you're using? Because Listen. you're you know you're not teaching now, and so it's not a classroom bully pulpit no. that you have. But, but how do you reach out to them? You know, the most important thing is listening. Mm. It, I, just listening, hearing their stories, and and being there and being present with them is important. We we go to universities a lot. Go where the students are. Um, we also with Move to Amend, we've created an art and culture caucus, mm. which which. It came out of we did a, a partnership with a group called Hip Hop Congress, mm-hmm. and so last year we did a whole series of events where we were looking at what the bleep happened to hip hop, which in the short is the commodification of a liberatory art form, and um, and 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 so so we're, we've really reached a lot of students there, a lot of young people, not just students, but young people there um, through music through art. Um, we're doing another um, another project with a group of artists in Houston. Um, some of them are young artists doing street art, mm-hmm. murals, those spray, spray like painting. Like the Fifth Ward area? Or, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, we're, we've, been, we've been doing some projects with them. Mm-hmm. We're, just, we're going where they are and we're listening to them because they have so much to teach us. Um, 
yes, we have lessons for them, but we are definitely not arrogant in that we have the answers and we're going, they need to find the answers. And I, as a person of a certain age, am want to be there to empower them and to help them find their answers because they're their challenges. Right. You know, in the spirit of a small world, when I was reading about the um, the caucus on, on the website, mm-hmm. uh, I noticed that you had some members of the caucus that were traveling with the group Spoon. And the drummer for that group was actually on campus about this time last year wow. uh, doing a professional seminar for some of our music production students. So mm-hmm. so there's a connection. There is. A, a loose one, but a connection. There's always a connection. There's always a connection. <laughs> um, I guess the, the last question um, that I wanted to ask is um, – as you're thinking about theater of the oppressed, um, d- how do you see this as a – I mean, it is a movement uh, along with pedagogy of the oppressed. How do you see it changing going into the future? Because um, in one sense, oppression is never going to go away. There will always be new forms of oppression that replaces the old. Um, and in another sense, there's always opportunities for empowerment. So as, as a movement, it seems like there's a never-ending – uh, sort of uh, fuel to the mm-hmm. fire, so to speak. Um, at the same time, theater, you know, in some senses hasn't changed in the way that we would teach improv and the way that we would teach people to assume roles. And we might change the plot line. We might change the way that the characters are sort of supposed to interact with one another. But but the fundamental principles of what theater is really hasn't changed, despite the fact that the culture that we're living in has become more technology-oriented and that sort of thing. So as somebody that, you know, practices theater of the oppressed, how do you keep it current with the the current generations of people that are are you know going to become um, the the individuals that you want to reach? How do you keep it current given that that society is changing so much and th- the fundamental aspects of theater is really the same as it was you know well, all the way back into ancient Greece, way back before ancient Greece. Theater is one of your your it, it's a it's a human need. I think mm-hmm. is to tell stories and to act them out. I mean, your first theater was the hunter coming back to tell the story of the hunt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, yes, Greece is the cradle of what we think of as theater, but that storytelling, that that need to share an experience, um, is universal, and that's. I don't think it's ever going to change. I, I, we may we may use technology to put use it in a different way, but I don't think it's going to go out of style. I don't think it can because I think it's part of us. Yeah. That storytelling and that need to connect one on not just one on one, but with other people, we have to. And that's what worries me about the technology is that it's so easy to not connect with other people mm-hmm. that you feel like maybe you are because there are little data bytes on your on your on your device, but you're not really connecting with them because you're not in the same room with them. Yeah, it almost becomes a uh, a, a proxy for the type right. of connection that an experience like engaging in theater mm-hmm. would actually provide. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been a fascinating conversation. Are there any topics that I haven't asked you about that 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 you've been dying to? talk about? No, you've, uh, you've, I think you've covered everything. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Well, thank you for coming, you know, coming to Athens and, and being a part of our community, uh, you know, at least for uh, a day or so. Uh, I think that, you know, as I talk with people about the place where we're situated in Athens, Ohio, uh, I think that the idea of figuring out 
different avenues for people to empower themselves is so important. Uh, but I think that's true in every community. I don't right. think it's unique to us. But I think that, uh, you know, in communities where, you know, we are trying to figure out uh, different avenues for economic um, uh you know, productivity that will empower people uh, and and social uh, innovation that will help them be empowered in, in different ways. And, and all those things are so important and vital to the fabric of a community like Athens. And I think that the, the services you're providing and helping people understand theater of the oppressed as one of those vehicles is so vitally important. So thank you for being here. Absolutely. It's such a welcoming community. I, this is my first visit to Ohio. This is our first stop on the barnstorming tour of Ohio. We'll be here for another week and a half in Ohio. Um, but uh, Athens is just beautiful. It's a charming city. And the people here, everyone I've spoken to has just been wonderful. Well, that's great. We hope that you have a return visit sometime. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Teaching Matters, produced by WUB Public Media. You can always listen at wub.org backslash perspectives. Our audio engineer today is Tristan Olson, and I'm Scott Titsworth. Special thanks to Timothy Vickers of Ohio University's Center for Teaching and Learning for his assistance in producing this program. On behalf of WUB Public Media, thank you for listening and have a good day. Thank you.